Hello and welcome to Adrian Goldberg's talk show, the most eclectic podcast in the world. Politics, entertainment, sport, investigations, whatever takes my fancy, really. This time, I'm delighted to welcome Helen O'Rahilly. Now, until recently, Helen was a grand fromage in the world of television. She was the first female director on RTE, the Irish equivalent of the BBC. She was once a deputy controller of BBC One, and she used to be my editor on Watchdog, where she hired me as a reporter a couple of decades ago. Helen's life has now taken a dramatic shift. She's quit telly, returned to live in Dublin, and has become an author. Her book, The Stairlift Ascends, about life with her 90-year-old aunt, is due out shortly, and it is a hoot. Helen, welcome. How are you doing? I'm grand, thanks, Adrian. Good to hear from you again. And not missing the world of television then after... Three decades in telly? Not at all. In fact, I have a television set here that I bought in uh, in my new house in Dublin, and I don't actually think I've switched it on yet. <laughs> that shows how far I've come from TV. But you've been up, in, uh, and this partly explains the background to the book, you've, you've been through quite a bit of kind of personal and professional upheaval, which has led you back to Dublin and this this life with your aunt. Yeah, I mean, 2019 was my Annus Horribilis, as Her Majesty said. Um, a long relationship, 19 years, ended, and that was the first domino to fall over. Brexit was kind of souring things a bit for me. And uh, then, sadly, my, my mother died in Dublin. And kind of all the accumulated sort of, you know, events made me think, do you know what? I, I, and I had done all really I wanted to do in the BBC. They've been brilliant and uh, working like with people like yourselves, yourself. And, uh, you know, I'd done that. I'd been an editor. I'd been a producer, director, executive, and, and, and then working on BBC One and, helping to bring back uh, Doctor Who. And I'd kind of gone through all the levels. And I thought, you know what, much as I love London, my old friends, my neighbours, my colleagues, a lot of my friends had come back, my London Irish friends had come back to Ireland. And uh, I'm in my early 50s. And I thought, well, if I'm going to make the move, I might as well do it now. So I came back, I moved into my late mother's house, in which lived her elderly sister, who uh, it was 90. And uh, she had looked after my mum and I moved in there temporarily when I was house hunting. And it was, a, I mean, talk about a change of circumstance from being in London and in the Groucho Club and everything to suddenly being, you know, with a feisty 90 year old aunt. It was it was extraordinary. Uh, and I actually loved it. She lives in a lovely village up on north coast of County Dublin, a beach five minutes from her house. And I hadn't seen a beach in 30 years working in London, you know. So um, every, then COVID hit, of course, COVID hit. So so it meant she, with her age, um, we had to sort of make a cocoon. And it just was the two of us uh, separated by generations. And it, out of this came, she's a very funny woman. Sometimes she doesn't mean to be, but she is. <laughs> um, and I started, I'm a prolific tweeter. I've got about 30,000 followers um, and I, with her permission, I said, that was very funny. Uh, can I put that in a tweet? And she said, so long as you don't put my name on it. <laughs> so um, I tweet out this and I use the hashtag Stairlift Ascends because she usually waited to make her pithy comments as she took the stairlift up the stairs to bed. So my instructions for the next day would be given as the stairlift went up or she'd have a review of the day as she went up on the stairlift. So it became the Stairlift Ascends. And that started in April 
And you get irregular ones. It wasn't. And the reaction from people on Twitter, obviously everybody was in lockdown. A lot of people were on Twitter. I got tremendous feedback just sort of saying, that sounds like my granny. That sounds like my dad. That sounds like, you know, I'm 55 and that's the way I'm told off. And kind of, it almost grew a fan club, you know, if in the UK as well, in, in America, in Australia, people were tweeting me. So that's basically where, where the idea came from. Yeah, well, very similar to my mum, who is around the same age, and I'm not far off your age, and those kind of things where you can be in middle age and still end up being told off or, or oh, yeah. expect, you know, treated like a kid, really. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I was back to being like a stroppy teenager, you know. <laughs> um, and it was only really in the last uh, were, uh, in the last week. I had no idea of a book, nothing in my head at all about that. I've never published anything, uh, no idea how to go about it. People started saying it's coming up to Christmas and given that everything's online now pretty much for Christmas, we're certainly, I don't know, I, I've read about the what, what UK lockdown is like. In Ireland, we've been at what, what they call a level five lockdown now for nearly three weeks um, and we can't go out of the, our county. Uh, all the department shops, uh, department stores are shut, uh, supermarkets are open, pharmacies are open. So it's kind of full on here. Um, and of course, no pubs. We've had no pubs since March. Ireland and no pubs, you know. <laughs> and uh, off license and, and supermarket sales are through the, the roof, as you can imagine. But um, people started saying to me on Twitter, oh, can I get a selection of these tweets for Christmas? Are you publishing anything? Are you publishing anything? I said, no, not at all. And I said, well, maybe I'll have a look at self-publishing. And this was literally a week ago, you know. Um, and I started to look at self-publishing. And it was I was all very sort of... Um, I was thinking, oh, God, this is a real pain. Now, luckily, I had kept all the screen grabs. That's all I had, not the text, just screen grabs. Because I thought, you know, she's 91, and if she goes, you know, I'll have these to remember her by, lovely moments, you know. And then this great guy in the biggest um, publisher in in Ireland, a chap called Ivan uh, O'Brien, runs the O'Brien Press, and he got into it. He he was a follower on Twitter. And he got my, he asked me my phone number and rang me. He said, Helen, I think I can make this happen for Christmas. I was like, what? <laughs> he said, can you get me all the texts that you've sent? And luckily I, I did it in about two days. And then some great Twitter follower, a lovely woman called Neve Geraghty, had actually sent me during the summer this gas little embroidered surround um, with, this, with, with an embroidered stair lift. Uh, with the words, the stair lift ascends. Purely <laughs> to thank me for my for my tweets, and I had it on my mantelpiece here. And he said, "We need a bit of cover art." I said, "Right, I'll come over. I'll drive over with it." So that was the only time I've met him. I literally handed that, and he handed me a contract. And and now it was printed yesterday and today. It was, according to him, the fastest selling pre order he's ever had. And I can't, I mean, my head is spinning. My head is spinning. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? And really, the book is just your conversations with your aunt recorded, just the, the things she'll say that either tickled you or which perhaps give a view on the state of politics today. Yes, absolutely. They're all verbatim. Uh, because they're, they're all tweets, of course, they're all very short because they have to fit the, the Twitter uh, limit. So they're like, and, and that's the way she speaks. She speaks quite staccato-ish. Myself, when I used to fly back from London for weekends, when my mum was still alive, I'd think, oh, I had a nice relaxing weekend in Dublin. 
and I'd fly back to London looking for a rest because the two of them, when they lived together, I, my brother and I call them the chipmunks because they never stopped talking. They just let like little, little bits, little bits, and they would not, and that's what was keeping them alive, actually, I realised. Mm-hmm. They were always these, not long-winded, little chats, little chats. And I'd go back to London exhausted, having li- listened, just listened in, not even contributed. So, I mean, here's an example of one. This was nearly at the start of the, the lockdown back in April. And it's a conversation, as I said, between my aunt and me. And I, I'll read it out in the two of us. The aunt, calling loudly from the sitting room. Helen, can you help me? Me, drops everything, rushes to front room, expecting her to have fallen. Aunt, the cat's on my lap. Could you pour me a small Jemison? <laughs> you know, it's things like that. You know, just normal. I mean, small, small things. But, like, I just put the word me, dot, 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 because it's me with my jaw dropping, you know? <laughs> and it's it's the sort of, de- the shamelessness, the laughs, and the, you know, after the Trump spoke about injecting bleach as a COVID cure, yeah, she, I, I you know, it was literally the next morning, and, and I got a bottle of Domestos out, and I took a photograph of it and made a joke on Twitter purely about saying, oh, I'm having my breakfast, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what she said was, and why is a bleach bottle on the kitchen table? And I said, I took a photo of it earlier as a joke for Twitter. She said, you're not trying to poison me, are you? And I said, you'd be long gone by now if that was the case. And then she says, well, why don't I matter? I've been spraying the cutlery with Dettol. <laughs> you know, it's it's little, tiny little domestic vignettes, you know, of, of life with this 90-year-old. And some of them cut me to the absolute quick we went shopping finally when lockdown the first stage of lockdown was was lifted as uh, she was dying she's a beautiful she's in well into fashion now she's a size eight she has the hair beautifully blonde very fashion conscious and her idea of heaven is to go into a department store and we have a big department store here called arnott's so every i was questioned every day is arnott's open is arnott's open no, not yet. They're all shut. They're all shut. So eventually we get in mid-June to Arnott's, and this is the big day. And we have a great, there's loads of tweets about what happened that day. It's hilarious. We got home and I had a little Arnott's bag on the table and she poked it. And she said, what did you get? And I said, oh, I got a few pairs of Sloggy Knickers, the brand, Sloggy Knickers. She went, oh, I didn't know they made them in your size. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean this is, uh, now, you know, you'd have to be robust. So, um, you know, she takes, she tears strips off of me. And you know me, Adrian, you remember I was a pretty, you know, tough old boss, you know, it, when, when we worked together on, on Watchdog. And this woman has reduced me to being a teenager again, you know. <laughs> she was pleased. She was pleased Joe Biden won the election. She though, was delighted. She? Oh, she said, oh, he's a good Catholic. She doesn't like Trump at all. Uh, oh, he's a lovely man. He, I said, yeah, you'll have to pray for him now. Make sure this was the night of the election. Make sure it's looking like it's, he's been. Oh, I'll say loads of prayers, you know. So she's thrilled with that. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? And given the year that you've had uh, as well, Helen, as you say, losing your mum, the sourness of London around Brexit, leaving television and so on, uh, uh, there's an element, I suppose, of just reconnecting with your roots. There is indeed, yeah. I mean... I mean, I had about three months pre-COVID where I basically had to become Irish again. And that, to any Irish people thinking of coming home, my God, you'll need every, you'll need to stiffen the sinews for that one. <laughs> How do you mean? What do you oh, have to do to become oh Irish Oh, my again? God. The amount of administration, <laughs> you know. 
But I mean, I had a, I mean, just I had a UK registered car. Obviously, you have to change that, and then you gulp when you realise you paid five hundred uh, sterling uh, a year car insurance in London, and you now pay two hundred euros a month for the same car here. Wow. Yeah, and um, you know, other things. I mean, apart from the, the money. The uh, just just getting you have to have a, an identity card here, a PPSN card, and practically you have to strip down, you know, and give them your DNA to get that, you know. <laughs> and uh, now that I'm taking that a bit, but really, you know, you have to prove your seed breeding generation basically to get that. And anything related to the government, it goes into some black hole where eventually you'll get, I don't even know if they've emailed, you know, you eventually something else, else will spew out. But it kind of reminded me of like East Germany under the Stasi, you know. Um, and uh, But then you'd get an absolutely like the complete opposite would happen, where if you're, um, you'll appreciate this, having been a consumer journalist, Adrian, when you, when you import a car to Ireland from the UK, you have to pay a vehicle registration tax because cars are more expensive here and if they didn't have the VRT everybody would just go up to Northern Ireland or go across the ferry on Hollyhead and buy one in the UK and bring it back so you have to pay this this percentage of vehicle registration tax now you have to prove to get a, to get to, to be free of vehicle registration tax you have to prove when you bought it you have to prove you lived in wherever you were in the UK for the six months six months you have to live in the UK before bringing a car back all this palaver right so I sent I sent off all my all my documents into the black hole and I got an email back about four weeks later saying, now I've got a car worth about 10,000, right? Uh, sterling, right? Second hand. And I got I got an email that nearly actually gave me a heart attack. I actually thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have to go back and live in London. <laughs> it said I owed 26,000 euro vehicle wow. registration tax. Now. That nearly, honest to God, that nearly killed me. And was that a mistake? I sent it off and I said, <laughs> you know, everything, everything ticks the boxes. I've lived in London all this time. The car was bought six months before I left, blah, 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 blah. And next thing was, I, I was really, I was near tears. I really was. I got this phone call from the Irish tax office that deals with it in, in Cork, which is the second city, in biggest city in, in Ireland. And this lovely, the nicest civil servant you could ever deal with talked to me and we were on the phone for an hour chatting away and he said Helen would you not worry about it he said I'll stamp it off you'll be grand you'll be grand and I'll put thank you very much your your letter to me was so lovely and I you've had a hard year ah sure God love you and you're grand seriously talk about Father Ted this was and this lovely man basically said no nothing to pay so you, know, you get that it, it, it's a roller coaster you know so I had to deal with that for three months. So kind of like, am I happy to be back in Ireland? I was ploughing through this. It was walking through treacle, you know. It was lovely to see old friends, don't get me wrong. And I was house hunting and I'm now very happy, sorted in a lovely house in Dublin. Um, but then, of course, COVID hit. And again, the whole world is in upheaval, you know. But I just thought, well, I can either go under the duvet or just, you know, embrace it. And do something, and that's why the book is just something—a little bit of a chink of light in the darkness of the of the lockdown year. Yeah, tweets from a COVID cocoon is the subtitle of it, and I guess your aunt's pretty lucky to have 
someone like you to just keep an eye on her. I know you're not living with her all the time, are you? But you're there, you're around, you're making sure she's okay. Yeah, I mean, she's. I bought uh, the reason I bought where I bought is that it's right near the the main motorway up to Belfast. She's kind of twenty five minutes up the road outside of Dublin, and I'm near Dublin city centre, and it's only. If I hop in the car now, I'd be with her in 25 minutes. And that, that makes me laugh. I, that, that reminds me of another great thing. Um, she wears one of those, uh, carers will know this, one of those watches that you can press if you fall. Oh, yeah. Well, um, she wears that 24-7, which is great. So she does take it off for the shower and so forth. But five o'clock, a couple of weeks ago, five in the morning, my phone went and this male voice went, are you, Helen or Angeli, are you the next of kin of X? And I said, yes, yes. And she goes, and he said, uh, your next of kin's alarm has gone off. And I said, right, right, I'll phone her, I'll phone her. So I ring her on her, but she has a mobile. She's, she, and she, eventually, because I was ready to jump in the car and zoom up, you know. Eventually, she answers, five o'clock in the morning. She goes, I said, are you all right? And she goes, yeah. And I said, you've set off your wrist alarm. She goes, oh, I put my copy of Ruth Rendell down on it. <laughs> at, least you, at least she wasn't after a Jameson's again. No, I mean, I'm like one leg in the jeans, car keys in hand, and she's just put her book down, you know? That's the joy of caring, you know? I love her to bits. She drives me mad. We have arguments. We have laughs, um, you know, and it's frustrating. It's exhausting, especially I have a brother in in, still in the UK, in Cambridge. There's only the two of us, and all my aunt's um, siblings are now dead. So there's only me in Ireland. And in a way, you know, I think... I was blessed to sort of come back when I did, given what happened with COVID, because I would have been in a terrible state in London had I known her, her to be on her own. Now, we, we have a system of carers here. They're very good, both the, the government carers and, and private carers that my brother and I pay for. So she's well looked after and I go up every day. So but that's my life from sort of media executive to buying her Danish pastries and making sure. Oh, that's it again. The other night she rang me at nine o'clock. Uh, in the evening, I said, "Yeah, what's wrong?" She said, "Oh, nothing's wrong. I've just run out of Seven Up." And I said, "I said, well, I'm not driving up the motorway bringing you, to bring you Seven Up at this hour." And she said, "But I've nothing to go into me Jemison. She has a little medicinal sip of Jemison." And I said, "Well, could you not put some water in it?" And she goes, "Oh God, no! It's a taste of whiskey, then." <laughs> you know? Yes, so I do she, know. I do know. No, she's being funny. She's not trying to be funny. Mm. I generally, these are things she says, you know, and they crack me up. Anybody who's seen like Mrs. Doyle and Father Ted, you know, Mrs. Doyle is rooted in reality. There are elements of Mrs. Doyle in lots of elderly Irish people, you know, and I think that's what's resonated. And that's what's, you know, got the great sales for the book because people are saying, oh, my God, I know what you're talking about. And I'm probably not oh, even Irish people. I'm sure British people as well you know there's very familiar themes with elderly people um they just demand a lot of you and sometimes you have to keep your lip buttoned <laughs> yes and you'd started doing this hadn't you with your mom you started tweeting some of your your conversations with your mom before you started the conversations with your aunt it was um about five years ago um i have you know maybe about 400 very close friends or close or friends i know uh, on facebook rather than twitter and um, yeah. I, I, when I was then in London, I'd have regular, obviously, long phone calls with my mum back in Dublin. And she was, a, you know, as you can hear from me, I could, you know, talk for Ireland and so could my mum. So we'd have these crazy, funny, 
bizarre, sometimes surreal conversations. We'd be talking about different things at the same time. And I remember she was getting older then. I mean, she didn't have dementia or anything, but uh, I remember thinking these are precious. These are actually funny. They're poignant. She would talk about family. She would talk about other things. And I would I said, well, can I put these up on Facebook to my friends? Because they're absolutely she said, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Sure, I'm 91. I don't care, you know. So I put up a sequence, maybe I'd say fewer than 80 of them. And I called them Ma and Me. So I had a sort of history of that. And then when she actually died last year, I began to look at them again. And I was so thrilled that I'd preserved them because I could just read them again. And she's in the room, you know, um, it's got her cadence. It's got, you know, it, it, they're lovely things to treasure. So that was maybe at the back of my head about preserving these little tweets with my aunt, because she too is now 91. And, you know, they're, they're wonderful little sort of diamonds, you know, and uh, I think, you know, it's a good idea for people if they, you know, nowadays everybody can record on their phones, you know. Um, you know, it's one thing I, I used to think about getting an old type of cassette player and putting it down and getting my ma to talk into it. Nowadays, we can just put a phone down, you know, and press record. Uh, and I think it's a lovely archival way of preserving voices that we, we know we, we'll miss when they're gone. Great idea, Helen. I did the same with my dad. I videoed my dad and actually used some of those recordings for a radio programme that I made about him. Not planning to do that, but it was just very moving yeah. years yeah. later, but also fascinating to to watch it back. And I must start doing this. I must start doing this with yeah. my mum, who sounds very, very similar to yeah. your aunt. They have, have a different, they have a different take on life. And, I, and not necessarily, oh, you know, we survived the war or we did that. They have sometimes a take that can really make you sit up and pay attention to yourself and what a bit of, what a bit of an arse we can be, the younger generation, you know. And I don't mean that in a sort of martyrish way by them. She doesn't tell me off, but she has an outlook that as her, as she can't see many years in her own life, you know, um, she has wisdom to impart. And I think that has actually really taken some edges off me. Uh, and I've had to go from, uh, let's face it, an industry that's all about ego and drive and getting ahead to actually be, I think, a nicer person, to be honest, to, to, to prioritize somebody else over your own career. Um, I mean, it's it's bloody hard, but it has actually it has actually taught me to be a nicer person. Helen O'Rahilly, thank you. Thanks, Adrian.